0: Hi, welcome or welcome back to former Confessions. I'm
1: Kaylee. I'm Pranava. And I'm Shreya.
0: And today we're going to be discussing the privatisation of the NHS. These are a mix between some facts that we've researched and our own opinions.
1: We would... I'd like to start off by discussing why this episode particularly is really important. Um, of course, as well as um, providing some, some enjoyment and entertainment, it's also really um, crucial for any of you who are planning to do any um, medical interviews or um, are interested in medicine as it's always a topic of controversy and it's always something that's discussed um, really heavily in, in, in interviews and it's definitely a topic in the field of medicine. And also, it affects all of us, especially now um, with the current pandemic, how it all of us really require NHS help and even if we're not going for COVID treatments, it may have stopped or someone we know, it might have stopped their treatments for other illnesses, which are still really important, increasing waiting time. So I think it's a really, really important issue, no matter what our background or what our interest is in the
2: NHS. It's always good to start with a background of the terms and concepts that we will be discussing.
0: Firstly, why don't we start off with some of the definitions? How about the definition of privatisation or NHS?
2: For those who don't know, NHS was the first healthcare organisation in the world that completely made free healthcare available on the basis of citizenship rather than the payment of fees or insurance. It was founded in the UK on July 5th, 1948. It also pioneered new procedures such as the world's first liver, heart and lung transplant. Privatisation of the NHS means, that the tr- means the transition of health services being no longer run by the government and the public sector, but by the private companies instead. There are two types of privatisation. One, where the patients have to pay for health care, either directly or through private health insurance. Example, the USA's health system, and I think most of uh, Asia as well. Thus, reducing the NHS waiting list times.
0: So does anyone know how much of the NHS is currently privatised?
2: Yeah, so
1: actually I think this is a really interesting point because um, I think a lot of people think that as soon as you say privatised, it means that it involves the customer. But actually we don't realise that 25% 25% of the NHS, when looking at GPs, pharmacy, optical and dental services, is already privatised. So, 25% of the NHS spending goes to the private sector. And in 2019 and um, 2020, in the year, um, NH- NHS commissions actually spent $9.7 billion on services delivered by the private sector. And this was more than 2018 and 2019. So this is going up every single year. However, the total revenue budget um, remains stable at 7.2%. So there's already a big chunk of the NHS that is privatised, which we will, of course, come on to later with the pros and cons. um, But goes to show that this hasn't majorly impacted um, people when paying prices. However, it does show that um, we need some amount of privatisation in order for the NHS to keep to modern standards.
0: No, I completely agree with you that It was a bit of a shock to find out originally, actually, that the part of the NHS was already private. You don't think about it, but actually, putting it into practice, when you're kids, like as a child under the age of 18, when you go to the dentist, you don't go to the same dentist as your parents because you go to a private dentist that offers free child dentist services for um, people under the age of 18, under the NHS, for the, through the NHS, but adults have to go to a different dentist that's an NHS dentist to get that free service. So that part is private. And opticians, for all ages, optician appointments, so getting glasses and having regular eye checks. And I think also um, hearing tests can now be done by some opticians. Uh, they're all through uh, free through private companies, like Specsavers, for example. Um, they're private companies that are almost renting part of their services to the NHS um, so that we can have free services. So when you hear the statistic of 25% is already private, you think, wow, that's actually a lot. In realistic terms, we already kind of knew that. We already have been interacting with that through most of our childhood. Um, So it's an interesting kind of way to think about it, actually.
2: Interesting. Interesting yeah I just think that we look at privatization like it's something that's going to happen in the future, but we fail to recognise that it's already happening in the NHS and um yeah, I think that's that the public needs to know more about that.
0: So does anyone know the cost of how much prescriptions currently are, whether free or private?
1: Yeah, so um, actually, the NHS um, prescription charge is currently nine pound fifteen, and um, when the NHS first started, this was actually um, this was not a cost. And even now, this nine pound fifteen, a lot of people think is for the drug. It's actually the administrative costs is what you're actually paying for when you pay for this. It's not the medicine itself that you're paying for. So regardless of what medicine you have, you pay the same nine pound fifteen um, admin costs for it. Um, so which shows that the obviously the medicine is still free under the NHS. Um, We're looking at private prescriptions, they actually have a, a, a minimum, it's so slightly different, they have a minimum order value of £5. On top of they have a um, script for £15, which is obviously more than the NHS cost. And it's irrespective of the quantity of, what, of whatever you buy. And Um, Throughout this podcast, we're actually going to be comparing a lot of this to America, because as we know, America obviously has a private healthcare system and is one of the most expensive in the whole world. So when looking at that compared to our NHS, the average cost that people spend on pills is actually um, $1,200 per year, which is actually more than anyone else in the entire world and what really sets them apart is the really really high prices so even cancer drugs cost about ten thousand dollars a month so of course when thinking about how many people do suffer from cancer this is a really really big cost especially for those who um, either don't have uh, health insurance or can't really afford to spend this amount of money on on treatment when they have to you know support their families with with other things so I think this is a really um, important thing we're looking at Um, people say oh no nhs you know is really expensive but actually compared to private healthcare um in america we're truly blessed to, to really have the nhs what
2: about you kelly any opinions
0: i personally think that that's in respect to everything the free cost the private cost in both in the uk and the extortionate is a good way to put it cost in the usa it's it kind of put things in pers- perspectives for me, personally, because like £9.15 for administrative costs of transfer of data, that's not too bad. And then, like you said, Shreya, on average, the minimum cost of a prescription um, private would be with the £5 order fee plus the £15 minimum charge. That's a minimum of about £20. So that's over double what we pay through the NHS and then comparing it to the average price of a um $1,200 per person per year it's I am very grateful for the NHS and the price we pay you think obviously as a child you think oh like the NHS is free like why are you paying for your prescriptions and you're like if you put it in perspective of the private healthcare system that we have in parts of in place in parts of the country here in the UK, and then put it in ret- retrospect to the USA, um, it's actually not a lot, and I think that's something key to keep in mind, and I think that should be something that's more commonly known. Of it's not actually extortionate, um, and it's not unfeasible for most people.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that that's a really point, really good point, Kayleigh. And and even when I was actually looking at these numbers, it it you know it feels like we were you know really throwing a lot of numbers around. But when when you look at them in perspective, it really helps you see that you know sometimes we we cr- complain about um this uh, this this number nine point fifteen being a big one and it having you know been been increased from since the beginning. But of course we have to understand that you know things like inflation and um, our salaries and all people who are working their salaries have gone up over the years. So. To, for the NHS and population is increasing every single year so for NHS to be able to 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 um combat that and to be able to even even now of course it's an under a lot of burden but even with the um, amount of people that they've got right now who are who are needing treatment, this isn't re- this really isn't that much of a big amount for most people who would be af- able to afford this, um, regardless of what what um illness they're going through. And even then there's support for those who can't. But of course compared to America, this this is like you say, it's really, really grateful to have the NHS and makes you realise the, the um it makes you appreciate it even
2: more. Like Shreya said, how the population of the UK has increased and the NHS is trying to adapt and do its best to um, just get, get, give the best it has. Um, it just got me thinking about how with the population and like everything, the economy and the inflation has also increased as well. For those of you who don't know, inflation is the general increase in price levels. So just um, in 1948, the prescription fees were just free. And then it kept increasing um, by generally gradually by 1p and then 2p and as Shreya said it was 9, uh, it's £9.15 now and it just got me thinking about how the world is changing and the NHS is trying to adapt to it and um, so yeah. So we've just discussed
0: the prescription costs does anyone know anything about maybe the cost of doctor's appointments in general?
1: Yeah so actually um this has kind of all been uh you know there's there's a lot of research about this um with the kind of appointment costs but um when looking at gp um with new patients um with 30 minute appointments is actually around anywhere from um this is looking at in, in the usa with like 77 dollars um, to 107 um and so there there is quite a big uh fee range and um with shorter appointments um it's a little bit less than that. So shorter appointments might be 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, the average costs in the USA is not actually high. Um, so it can, uh, when I say not, it's obviously this is all relative, that um, it can range from 200 to $300. Um, whereas in, in the in the UK, it may be somewhere from £100 to 250 depending on where you live. And this is obviously looking at um, kind of the private um, sector and how much this would cost. So the, it, there isn't too much of a difference between the USA and, and the UK in terms of the private. And uh, of course, in terms of uh, GP appointments, obviously, we don't pay anything to go visit the GP, it's then what you pay for the for the um, admin costs for the prescriptions. But with um, private uh, care in the UK, and then obviously the healthcare in America, there's not too much of a difference between um, the uh, the uh, 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 consultant appointments for each of them. So I think this kind of goes to show that Perhaps in the, in, there are some things that are similar with our private system and theirs, but of course there are less people who go to our private system because um, many of us do use the NHS and it's only when, if you want an urgent appointment or, you know, you're not willing to wait for that and or you need a, a specialist appointment, then then you go to private, but we do have that facility of going to our GP, which obviously doesn't um, incur us any costs.
2: Yeah, I mean, it just gets me thinking about how blessed we are with the, the NHS and... Um... I guess private in the UK and private in the USA is not much of a difference, but um, the general GP um, like appointments are just free, and I think that's really, really um, great that we have this uh, organisation in the UK.
0: So we've discussed the cost of prescriptions and the cost of doctors' appointments. Is anyone wanting to add anything else?
2: Yeah, I
1: think um I think I was just gonna say, uh, with regards to kind of looking at um the costs of the appointments, um, I think like Panova had mentioned that they were um we don't pay any, any cost to go to the GP. And you think if you had to even pay for, the, for that first appointment, you know, when if you're worried about something, you know, something particular, perhaps you had had a symptom of something, and you wanted to get you know want to see a doctor about it, um, you even have to pay for that. So even like a 15, 15 minute appointment, you know, would cost you money. Whereas here we are, it just makes you feel lucky that you can at least go for that, that first, um, you know, kind of consultation with the GP, which isn't particularly specialist, um, you know, for free. And then if they feel that there is a problem, and then you kind of go visit the specialist so it just makes you feel a little bit more I guess I guess a little bit safe that you know if you if you do if you are afraid about something and want to get it checked um you can do that without any cost so it kind of I think increases the incentive of people to go and get checked and not leave it to a later stage thinking oh no I don't want to pay for the appointment um so you know so I think that I think that is a really really important factor
2: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you about thinking people might um, prolong like the symptom as in like they won't, they might think, oh, it's just a cold or something, or it's just a rash, but then they might leave it until it's uh, too late, I guess. So again, meeting with the GP and it's free, it just, it, it has more incentive, you know, like what's there to lose? So I personally don't have anything to add. I completely agree with
0: both of you there. Um so how about we move in a bit of a different direction we just finished talking about the cost of prescriptions and how much doctor appointments uh cost across different uh variations of healthcare. care so what about maybe how much do doctors and nurses get paid what's the difference does anyone know
1: yes yeah, so i think that that's a really important point because of course uh, you know our n h s is is made up of our doctor and nurse and that they are so incredibly important, especially now you know with the collapse for the carers and you know things that i mean we could have done so much more but of course they are they are such key um people that we need um for the n h s to keep going so looking at salaries actually um it was quite interesting when we, when I was looking at this so in the u k um from this is looking at statistics from the first of April, um, twenty twenty. Um, it's for a doctor as a consultant. It's a basic salary of um, starting at around eighty two uh, thousand to maybe one hundred and ten. This is obviously at the at the top of the um, the. When you reach kind of a more senior level Um, and with uh, nurses, the typical nurse salary is around 32,000 and it can but it can range anywhere from 21 to 67,000 again, depending on kind of, you know, moving up the ladder or where are you starting how many years of experience you've had, and comparing this to the private in the UK, um, actually, an an observer investigation has said that as many as maybe 20 British doctors now earn more than a million pounds a year and many more actually earn over 500,000. So I think a lot of people say that, oh, no, you know, the NHS pay is really not good. And, and perhaps for kind of the, the um, amount of education that they have had, perhaps they should get more. And of course, for all the work that they do, which is so crucial, maybe compared to, you know, um, people who work in the city of London and and make money. But of course, it is it is a it is more than than the average salary in the UK and um, public and private nurses are actually paid around the same. Um, but uh, in terms of kind of the uh, the amount of pay that they get like private and um, in the NHS and comparing this to the USA I think it's always a, a, a nice thing to look at the USA just to kind of compare it. Between um, 2017 and 2018 um, nurses kind of got a median salary of around $71,000 um, and a majority make anywhere from 48000 to one hundred and four. So of course it, it is slightly higher than in the UK and for a doctor it's around three, $313,000 a year year um with um up to kind of which has gone up quite a bit um from 2018 so again this is though based on um location as well as speciality so of course what part of you're working for and um you know certain in uh, certain areas or certain fields in um medicine will pay more than others so looking at that but i think general consensus is that private uh, obviously healthcare in the usa are the doctors are paid slightly more but um if you reach a certain level i think the pay in the uk is pretty standard but of course i think it can be improved for all the amazing work they do do
2: i think you've put that very um nicely shreya and i think you've covered like everything in the um pay for doctors and nurses in public and private and comparing it to the uh, usa um so yeah kaylee anything to add
0: um I agree with you, what you said that was very comprehensive um description very enlightening as well one thing I would say to add of there may be a valid reason of why doctors and nurses get paid more in the USA um the one upside I guess to a private healthcare system like in the uh, in the USA is because you pay for all of your procedures should you have the money they can pay and the doctors will perform um, procedures that are ridiculously expensive, that are too expensive for, say, for the NHS, which is a private healthcare system, um, to perform. I remember someone from uh, that I went to school with from a couple of years ago, uh, they had to have a surgery on their spine but due to a um, physical disability and the NHS weren't willing to pay for it because of how expensive it it was. So they had to raise somehow, they had to raise just over £80,000 to be able to go to the US and pay for the surgery over there. So I think, yeah, so the... I think part of the reason that actually, in comparison, the US, uh, doctors in the USA get paid more than the doctors in England, whether private or in the free sector, is because doctors in the USA are willing and have been taught, some, should I say, have been taught how to perform more extensive and more um, difficult procedures than doctors in the UK. So therefore, as they have the qualifications and the ability to perform those harder procedures, they should therefore get paid more because they are more expensive, more comprehensive. They require more staff. So therefore, they cost more. So I think that is something to take into account of. These have to be put into relative perspective of what they do, what their job role is. So NHS doctors, by all means, do not get me wrong here are 100% amazing people they do so much and they give so much and take so little um so by all means props to them 100% hats off collapse to them every in every way possible but they do not for, purely for the fact of i think it's against policies to perform certain procedures because of how much they just cost in terms of equipment and training and staffing. Um, it is just so expensive because some procedures in the UK, like, they can cost hundreds of thousands of pounds for one person to have a procedure done. And it would not be fair because to everyone else, due to the fact that the one of the NHS principles is um, free and equal access to everyone so if the NHS is paying hundreds of thousands for a procedure for one person how is that fair to the homeless person that wants to come in to get some medication because they've got a cold how is that because they may not and then have the funds to provide those details to provide that care and it all has to be put into relative perspective here so I think 100% like amazing people and they especially doctors in the US, in the UK, sorry, they definitely deserve to be paid more for what they do. But by all means, I'm not, I do not think that doctors in the USA should be paid less, because they do, in fact, do even more. It is, yes, they do get paid more, partially because it is private, so they can be afford to be paid more. But they also perform more surgeries and They have more staff and so they can perform more surgeries. They have more equipment, better quality equipment that's more reliable and um, more withstanding to certain aspects and they can perform harder procedures. So I think that is something definitely to remember here.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really, really excellent point um, because I think that's, as, as I was saying as well, I think that's the one point I missed, of course, that they shouldn't be paying less because, as you say, one, they have private system which can um, you know, afford to have better quality equipment, which is another really, really crucial part for a lot of medical procedures that, of course you need the human um, staff, but you also need the machinery and the equipment and all of that is really, really important, um, which is why actually, like you mentioned your friend, there's so many cases where people have um, you know, taken, whether it's family members, children, um, whoever they know to America to get that better treatment because the NHS is is not able to provide that because of course, you know, there's always the other side of, of having free access, does mean that, um, you know, the NHS is not able to afford all of that extensive, high quality equipment that is required for a lot of these procedures so i think i think that that's a really good point and i think it's not about um you know decreasing their salaries because of course they are doing so much but perhaps looking at um you know what the nhs doctors are doing here and and like you say that they're giving so much and taking so little so just looking at that but of course by no means saying that the doctors in the usa um you know aren't doing more with with whatever treatment they have
0: part of what from what i understand the, the NHS does actually get paid for, which I think is a common misconception of it's not... They say it's a free healthcare system. It's free as in the sense of you don't go and then pay. It's free as in the sense of you pay through taxes. We have higher tax in the UK versus the US in um, some retrospect. But that's based off what we have of tax brackets. So part of our taxes in whichever tax bracket we are in... Goes to the NHS, um, so that is then dependent on which tax brackets we're in. Um, so does anyone know a bit more about that than what I do? I
2: just have a general
0: overview of that. Uh,
2: in the UK, there's, um, as Katie said, there's different taxes that, uh, or different percentiles of taxes that we have to pay according to our um, salaries and wages per year. Uh, for example. Um, those in the tax bracket of 12000 to 50000 have to pay 20% of their income towards taxes and some of that 20% would be given to the NHS and to the education system and other um, things, uh, maybe for the government as well, not maybe, to the government as well. Um, and then 45% for um, the salaries above 150000 uh, And sorry, 40% for income between 50000 to one hundred fifty thousand, and then forty five percent of it income above one hundred fifty thousand. So I personally think that this tax bracket is not uh, very, I guess, um, not worth it, but very just. But because if a person um gets a salary of eighty thousand per year, and they have to give away forty percent of their income, almost a half and they only have 48,000 per year now. So then the rest of it going, obviously it is going to a good cause, the tax, but if we were to be privatized and we were to pay tax for the privatization, or uh, as we talked about the second type of privatization where we do pay tax, but we also get um, a bit of, uh, some operations are done by the private uh, hospitals, I don't think that's very fair I and mean, I don't think we should have the correct the same ratio as we do for the tax brackets uh, in the UK so anything else to add? Yeah I think um,
1: uh, in terms of talking about tax brackets and now that, that's a really important point that um, you mentioned the figures there but I think looking at um, kind of people who are at the bottom of the tax bracket, people who are at the top of the tax bracket, obviously that makes a really big difference. These tax brackets are quite wide. So I think definitely there needs to be some kind of reform, especially, um, you know, as with COVID as well, with so many people like losing their jobs and people moving to different sectors. And I think it's really important to take that into consideration and making those tax brackets narrower, because I think you're a severe disadvantage if you're at the bottom of that tax bracket versus if you're if you're at the top of it. Of course, still losing your money, which is going to... Other ultimately, of course, um, for, you know, the community in terms of healthcare and to you um, in an indirect manner. But um, that that is, I think that is that is a really big issue in terms of how wide they are. And um, I think that that severely um, affects the people who are at the bottom of that who, for them, a significant you know, proportion of their income is going um, towards tax, uh, which then means that they have like a large family, they have, you know, less money to spend, spend on other things. So I think that's, that's definitely a really, really important point
2: agree with you there too i think it should be uh considerably low compared to the tax uh, brackets that we pay now um if we pay for privatization um so yeah anything else to add kaylee
0: no that is very uh interesting information and i think that actually just covered all of it quite nicely so how about we just do a brief general discussion of maybe pros and cons of the privatization so what's good what's bad what do we think
2: Okay, yeah, I think that's an interesting kind of debate going on at the end of the podcast. Um, First of all, I'd like to just set the initial three core principles of the NHS. Um, So the idea behind the NHS was basically uh, like solely on three core principles. One was that it meets the needs of everyone. Two, that it would be free at the point of delivery. Three, that it should be based on clinical need and not ability to pay. So if we introduce privatisation, which which it's already been introduced, I think it basically just um, degrades the core principles of the NHS. So um, I'm con privatisation. Anybody else want to um, say, take the opposite side? Yeah, so I think um, just at the end of the podcast, if you've
1: listened so far, thank you so much. But um, we were just going to do a little bit of a debate to just finish off at the end, just kind of looking at pros and cons of privatisation. And of course, as mentioned before, a part of the NHS is already privatised. We would like to make that clear that this is not an entirely new concept. It was already in place and is increasing slightly every single year. What we're really looking at here is um, pros of more privatisation and perhaps entire privatisation of the NHS, and whether that is a good or a bad thing. So um, I'm going to uh, talk about the pros um, of privatisation, and Pranava is going to look at the cons. So um, I'm just going to start with the first point, and then perhaps I'm sure Pranava has a counter to what I whatever I'm going to say. So uh, my first point is. Um, it is widely believed that an entirely publicly funded healthcare system is not sustainable in the long term. We can see this with um, not just even before the COVID pandemic but an increase in um, NHS waiting times um, a a a lack of um, treatment towards a certain kind. A lot of people going to private when the illnesses are not particularly terminal illnesses so if it's hip and knee replacements, those who can afford it of course, um, wanting to go to private just because of the extortionate you know um length of the of the waiting times so um in the last several decades life expectancy has increased and with current obviously a lot of advancement technology it's made medicine and care more expensive so my first point would be that an entirely publicly funded system is just not sustainable
2: i do agree with you there because in the short run it did seem like a very good uh, plan a very good um uh objective to go on but in the long run it may need a few changes however um in the recent surveys that um the nhs has done wait no 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 in the recent, uh, in a recent survey, many doctors claim that they were uncomfortable with private sector's provision of NHS services. So they, um, this is largely because of concerns that the private healthcare provision has the capacity to destabilise the NHS service. So if we do go into a, even though now it's twenty five percent of the NHS is privatised already. But if we do go ahead, and as Shreya said, it is increasing more, um, the doctors in NHS and the staff in NHS are not very comfortable with it, as the um, private sector has the power to destabilise the NHS service and possibly lose lives and jobs in the NHS. So I would go against privatisation.
1: Yeah, okay. So, looking actually uh, just with looking at doctors, um, a counter for what you've just talked about is actually the prioritization of NHS um, could actually mean provision of better working conditions, because currently, of course, especially in doctors who work with A&E, it is extremely, extremely long hours. It's really intense. And now even with with COVID, you know, all, all um, doctors are, are working really, really hard, but especially with A&E, um, this privatization could actually mean better working conditions, uh, employment benefits and financial incentives, which the NHS cannot provide and all of these actually could contribute to increasing doctors morale which could improve standards of patient care and safety so i think when you're talking about doctors being uncomfortable perhaps some way, and perhaps that will last a while but Just um, to overall it could here, maybe mean that there'll be better um, standards of patient care which of course is one of first-hand uh, you, know, a doctor's, you know one of the, cu- the patients cared for well and They've even for themselves there would be more financial incentives private, for them to um, um, provide better care
0: work through into a and e as you were mentioning, um, Shreya, they've started hiring um, like doctors to work and comp- uh, private companies to work in AE and run a I know our local hospital uh, that has an a has been uh, starting to do this. And I think as one of actually the smaller hospitals within the King's Trust, I think this is something they're going to be trying rolling out a bit more, as you said, Shreya, to... Um, increase uh productivity, doctor morale, and patient care. I know my time being there, uh, I actually went twice um within the space of a month and both times I was in and out in under an hour. But I know I have a memory from I think about five years ago now from where my sister had to go and because of my age I went with my mum and my sister. We went and my sister had to get an X-ray and we were there for over four hours just to get seen by a uh, nurse to get referred to go get an x-ray and then to be seen and then for my sister's hand to be just taped up so she her uh bones could heal because she had a fractured knuckle silly billy um but that took over four hours and the x-ray alone actually only took about five minutes and the uh discussions between my mum, my sister and the nurse, or the mum, my sister and the doctor, only ever, they never lasted more than 10 minutes. It was the waiting time that was the issue. But my experience said, showed that with the private company actually having more control over even, I think it was just the walk-in patients, the time actually spent in the waiting areas, this obviously was during a pandemic and during a lockdown, it was decreased severely. It was decreased so dramatically. It was actually shocking to me and my mother. Um, So I think that is something new that they're adding just to as as a compromise to what both of you are saying is, they're not, it is still, I think there are still areas of it, of where, of A&E in specific, where it's not private and obviously not, this isn't in every hospital, I can't vouch for every hospital, but it is also private in some areas, and that does have its benefits. Now I'm standing as a, in the middle, I do not have an opinion on this situation, through personal preference, of I'm just choosing not to take a side here, I'm just on the middle of the fence, Um, but I just thought that would be something interesting to add in and just contribute to this. It was my personal experience.
2: As Shreya mentioned um, about better provision of equipment, better morale and stuff, uh, if we were moving more towards privatisation. However, there is a chance of, uh, without the competition from the NHS, private providers may choose to set their prices well above the true cost of care in order to maximise their profit. So essentially, dismantling the NHS and the development of the N- and it could lead to the development of insurance system in the UK. So what do you say about that? Yeah, no, no, I think I think that that, that is a good point.
1: And um, of course, with with competition, there are two sides. Um, but when you actually look at it, it, competition can be a healthy thing. I mean, as we know, there is, of course, an element of healthy competition. But with currently with the NHS, um, of course, while they don't have extortionate prices, they are a monopoly in terms of in the in the price. Um, public sector they are the only company whereas with introducing more private sectors not completely privatizing but an element of it it will introduce competition which actually can have the ability to drive down costs because as we know, um, if there are, uh, if there are more companies, then people have more choice and therefore companies are obviously competing with each other and will reduce costs in order to obviously increase their revenue. Um, so they will, and private companies compared to NHS are more motivated to, to, um, make savings if it impacts their profits. So that would actually include, um, lead to decreased costs for taxpayers commissioners mps so governments in general because they are trying for um, customers to come to theirs so while pranava like you say it, it may um lead to people increasing actually can also lead to companies decreasing their prices to um you know be in competition with others
2: However, if a particular service is not financially beneficial, they, the private providers may choose to abandon it, so potentially leaving patients with um, access to life-saving medical treatment. So uh, if they leave the patient that needs the um, provisions, that needs the equipment, to, uh, if they're on life support, for example, and the um, private company does not choose to um, support the uh, what was it the service anymore then there's loads of lives being um at hand and loads of jobs as well So coming back to the lives and jobs um argument so what do you think about that
1: yeah no um i think in, in terms of private companies obviously while they are entering the competition, also looking for profits, um, that is a fair point. But if you look at it in terms of privatization still being an element of the NHS and not completely taking over, um, it could may not have a negative financial impact because obviously, as we know, a part of the NHS is already privatized. Um, so healthcare at the point of delivery will remain free. So patients, um, like Kayleigh mentioned, with AE having a private sector, they may not be may not even be aware that they're being treated by a private provider. So it could mean um, it could mean reduced waiting time times which could benefit the patient and in when you talk about life-saving treatments if there was to be a part which is privatized they could have reduced waiting times which can be critical in order for that for their treatment to, to to be better for their recovery to be better so it would lead to faster treatment quicker recovery and so actually an increase in their quality of life as opposed to waiting a lot longer with the nhs without that element of privatization
0: so those are some really good points made throughout the entire podcast and at the end, definitely, with that debate between you both, Braniver and Shaya. Those are very... there was They were some very good facts, are very enlightening, very interesting to think about and just to have in the mind and just kind of bubble over and think about and just have simmering in the background just to process. I'm going to cut that part out because that made no sense. Yes, they're very thought-provoking comments made by everyone so very good um so i think that that will be the end of this podcast it is a bit of a long one compared to our last ones but this topic definitely needed a long one and obviously we could go into much much more detail but we're not going to bore you with that so thank you and i really hope you enjoyed it all
1: thank you bye thank you bye bye